This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Every child deserves a team. That's the belief behind Jigsaw Learning, a proud sponsor of the B Podcast Network. And it's why the company, founded by educators Curtis and Lorna Hewson, focuses on ensuring success for all learners through collaborative response, an approach in which every child is supported by a team. Through customized professional learning that incorporates workshops, leadership development, online learning opportunities, and more, Jigsaw Learning can guide you every step of the way to create a plan to maximize the collective capacity in your schools. Learn more at jigsawlearning.ca. TL Talk Radio, Season 4, Episode 23. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 23 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funihatton and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funihatton. Good morning. Good morning. Who do we have today? So today we're speaking with attorney Aaron Gilspach. And Aaron is an experienced speaker and writer at the state and national levels on current trends and important issues regarding school law and education and a highly skilled professional development expert. Aaron is uh, the executive director of EdLaw Interactive, a professional development company that provides high quality live and web-based professional education services in the area of school law to educators and school leaders. She also represents schools and attorney as an attorney with the Pennsylvania law firm Steckel and Stop. For the past 13 years, attorney Gilsbach has provided legal representation and or professional development to over 150 public, private, and charter schools. And she currently serves as the president of the PA School Boards Association Solicitor Association. So she has had many extensive opportunities uh, to speak with attorneys and educators at both the state and national level. And we've had numerous opportunities to work with Erin over the years and appreciate her experience, uh, and especially around today's topic, which is going to be around some technology uh, legal issues and the concepts around COPA. So uh, welcome to the show, Erin. Thank you. So let's kick off our conversation. Um, First, about your experiences with ed tech issues in public schools. Tell us a little bit about your work. Well, I work um, primarily with uh, public schools and go into, into the schools and help them create um, regulations, protocols, procedures, that sort of thing. Uh, but I also work closely with the National School Boards Association and the Council of School Attorneys 
um, to you know stay abreast of new technology issues and talk about um, technology issues that may pose significant legal uh, that may have significant legal implications. So um, it's always an interesting uh, it's an interesting field because uh, there really are no you know answers. There are only proposed solutions. So we find out the answers kind of as we go along because the law is usually. Um, you know, behind the times in terms of technology. By the time we have a statute passed or case law, especially by the time we have a law that's reacting to a technology, um, the technology is already out there. I mean, the, the, we have these new technologies that develop and it's the law's job to keep up with it, but the law is never ahead of it. So that always poses kind of an interesting legal challenge. A lot of the cases, um, you know, a lot of the most recent cases that we have from, from some legal issues uh, have, you know, things like beepers and pagers and MySpace in them. So, you know, every time we talk about school law, um, you know, it's it's a it's a whole new uh, realm because it's it's very different from other areas of law that are a little bit more static. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yesterday, uh, there was an email that was going around. Uh, Lynn, you might be able to help me because I don't remember exactly what it is. But it, what are they called? Gizmo call? Pal. Gizmo Pal. Gizmo. <laughs> which apparently parents can turn on. They put give it to their kids. Their parents turn it on, and then they can sort of hear what's going on around them, and they can. If the, if the kid doesn't respond to it, it automatically turns on so the parents can hear what goes on and sort of all the legal issues around something like that in terms of like the wiretapping law and, and people who are being recorded without knowing that. So, you know, this this is a, a very, you know, fuzzy area. And I think for us as educators, too, while we should be going to our, our legal counsel, our solicitor um, for this advice, I think sometimes we pass things around amongst ourselves and we sort of, you know, start to develop these mindsets that might not actually be um, the most accurate. And around this idea of COPA too, which is what we want to talk about today, we, we hear a lot of things that are just like not facts. They're not, they're not the right thing. So hopefully our conversation today is going to clear up some of those things for some of our listeners. So let's start, start our conversation today about COPA or the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, because this is something that we as educational leaders need to make sure that we are in compliance with. So Erin, can you give our listeners a brief overview of what COPA is and why it's relevant to us in public education? Sure. It, it's kind of an interesting act because it doesn't, and I don't know that a lot of schools um, are fully aware of this, but COPPA doesn't exactly directly apply to schools. In fact, it doesn't apply to schools at all. Um, it applies to any operators of websites or online services that um, collect information on students. And it is the, um, you know, under the act, those operators, those, those, uh, the, uh, developers and, and uh, operators have to collect um, parental permission and they have to provide notice that they're collecting information on students. So it's, it's very similar to some of the things that we do have in education law, for instance, the Protection of People Rights Act, where if we're going to be doing surveys on students, we have to provide the parents notice that here's the survey of one of these, you know, one of these categories. And um, we have to give them the, the right to opt out. COPPA requires a notice of what's going to be collected, and it also requires what's called verifiable parental consent, um, which is a really, really high-level consent. It's statutory. It's nothing that 
um, exists anywhere else. Um, they basically, because they're dealing with, you know, because these operators are, are running blind, they, they, they don't know the people on the other end. They have to find ways to verify that the consent that they're getting truly is from a parent. And so the, the statute gives all kinds of different ways to do that. But there are things like um, requesting documentation and email responses, individualized and things like that. So it's it's very messy. And, you know, it's it, there's there's a lot involved. It's a very high uh, level. That's why you see when you go on the Internet, um, a lot of people, a lot of websites before they collect information are requiring that the participant check the box that they're 18 or over. Um, COPPA applies only to kids who are under the age of 13. So that's where, um, you know, that regulatory part comes in. But um, the way that the schools come in, and I said it doesn't directly implicate the schools and, and the statute really doesn't. Um, but what happened was when this statute was rolled out, um, you know, everybody quickly realized that, wait a minute, a lot of the times it's not the parent at home that's supervising these kids. Most of the time, in fact, it's the schools who are in charge of these kids, the schools that are there. And there isn't a proper statutory response to that. So the FTC came out with some guidance and they were the ones through non-regulatory guidance that said, hey, um, we understand this, we need a workaround. We are going to start allowing the schools to obtain consent on behalf of these companies. And so it becomes very problematic because before the schools had no obligations, you know, under the statute itself. And now all of a sudden the FTC comes down and says, hey, this is our workaround. And it was a workaround that was designed to um, <laughs> prevent the statute from collapsing because if not, um, you know, how would these companies get permission from parents when the parents aren't even maybe even, you know, aren't even in the picture. So it, it's, it's really tricky. Um, on December 1st of 2017, just, just last month, um, there was another meeting with the FTC, the Department of Education, um, you know, a really another kind of hands-on work group meeting to try and figure out what the heck, you know, what can we do to help schools with this because um, the solution within the schools is, is really problematic, you know, in terms of um, making sure that it runs smoothly and especially since there, you know, there are no statutory obligations. Um, and that, I think that that uh, meeting brought up some, some good uh, questions, good information. Um, but I know that it, you know, in it sounds like based on, you know, what I've seen, it sounds like there were, there were a lot of really good uh, maybe some more really good questions brought up because um, COPPA protects not only, you know, information that the kids type in, their names, their addresses, things like that, but it also protects things that are what we would consider metadata, which means um, it protects maybe things like how long a kid hovers over something with their mouse or um, how often a student clicks or how long they participate in one particular part of an app. And all of that stuff is very 
Um, it's important. It's important educationally. If you're developing an educational app, you want to know what's attracting the attention, what's holding the attention. Um, but the flip side of that coin is it's also extremely important commercially. That information is, is very, very important for the commercial market and can be sold. Um, and so that's where I think, you know, the, the question lies now is how much lenience and deference do we give to the educational community? Are they going to have to report and record all of this stuff? And, you know, do they have to get consent for, for all of this information? Um, you know, now keep in mind, though, that it does have to be attached to personally identifiable information from the students. So if you as a school um, are, are using a program where nobody's, you know, nobody's information is shared. It's, it's just, you know, one big blind, you know, say you have one computer in the back of the room, it's one running one educational program and all the kids are welcome to use it. They're not collecting any personally identifiable data that wouldn't fall under COPPA. It's really just the, um, you know, the, the, the ones that are collecting that information, but there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of information being collected. Um, and even something as simple as putting in their name, their or their hometown, their grade, you know, things like that. There's, you know, what is personally identifiable can change depending on how much information you're collecting. So it, it is interesting to uh, hear how messy this could actually get for us. Um, it's also interesting to hear that backstory mm -hmm. of how education sort of got thrust into this mm -hmm. uh, as not, not even the original intention of the of the law um so how would you boil it down to you know us as educational leaders and the people that are listening to this what would be some key things that we might need to make sure that we're doing or make sure that we're not doing um what would be some key points just to sort of take away from this today well i think i, I think i do have um you know some i think there are three key points that you can really um make your school as compliant as possible and again when i say compliance it's that's kind of messy knowing knowing what the law is about mm -hmm. um but when you're talking about these apps i think first and foremost i think school leaders need to understand the law they need to understand what is required um what even you know and, and i would at this point since all we have is that ftc guidance i would say they should be very familiar with that because it's specific to schools it, it goes through and it says hey you, if you're collecting personally identifiable information, you have to collect, um, you know, specific, uh, you know, here's, here's the, here are the procedures that you have to undergo. So I think that school leaders need to be very familiar with that. Um, and then once that happens, I think that they need to then uh, educate their staff. They need to make sure that everybody who works with students who are under the age of 13 is, a, is also aware because uh, most of the time what I find is not a, you know, there there's probably some knowledge on this on the school leadership part, um, but there's generally no knowledge at all or, or very limited and sometimes sometimes, you know, misinformation at the at the staff level. And that's where it's really important. The staff level is is the one they're the ones that are going out that are using the apps that are letting the kids on the computers, um, you know, the iPads, whatever it is. So making sure that they understand it because then that third component is that to have a working system where you're actually um, providing this appropriate notice. Now the FTC is not 
making schools go out and get that same verifiable parental consent that's required by the um, owners and operators under the law. The FTC is requiring that it be a, a sort of like a, a notice and an opt-out so the, that the parents are given notice. Here are the programs that we're using. Here's the information that we're giving. And let us know if you want to opt any of your kids out. So that's a little bit more school friendly and I think it was intended to be school friendly. Um, but so that third piece of the puzzle is that the school has to collect all that information, all of those apps, all that, um, you know, all that information of what the teachers are gonna be using and share that with the parents. And a lot of times I think that, um, you know, that's the, that's the really tricky component and it absolutely needs that second step of, of staff knowledge because the staff members are the ones ultimately that are gonna have to be telling um, the administration about this. And, and specifically, I think they need a key administrator. Here is the person you go to if you want to use a program that collects student information. Um, so they need to know what that means. What does student information mean? What programs are we talking about? Um, and I think that it's, you know, when, you, when you're thinking about teaching your staff, um, don't forget the, the really individualized staff members, the occupational therapists, the speech therapists, the people that work one-on-one -on -one with kids because they are um, statistically more likely to be using individualized mm -hmm. apps, but they're also the ones that tend to get left out of um, you know, general training sessions for teachers. So don't don't forget those individualized. Um, you know, some of the some of the, some districts that maybe only have one or two OTs. Um, those really, you know, you really need to be focusing on that because there are so many fantastic, fantastic resources um, that are available online through apps, and it's it's really important to uh, to remember those individuals. Yeah, that's a really good point. You shared with us what we need to think about as educational leaders, and let's shift over to the parent side. Why is it important for parents to understand understand the implications of COPPA? Yeah, parents, um, you know, this is ultimately a law that protects students. It protects their data. Um, when students are young, they're, you know, they're not going to be savvy. They're not going to fully understand that, you know, we know, uh, you know, I'm not going to give my uh, email address out to everybody I know, uh, you know, everybody who asks for it because I don't want all that junk mail. I don't want them following me around. Um, kids don't necessarily know all of that, but kids data and information is very valuable to companies. So um, it's the job of the parents to protect that and to really um, look into what it is that, you know, that, that the students are signing up for, or students are giving out, and to make sure that they're okay with that. You know, even a school as a whole, um, you know, we are not going to necessarily be able to make parental decisions on that on that level. And so it does come down to the parents. And, you know, the original language of the law was between the operators and the parents, giving the parents those rights. So it is important for parents to understand that when they get those notices and those letters, usually um, schools are getting better now at putting them at the beginning of the year. So you may have a, a longer list and, and that may be updated every couple of months as new, new apps are used and come out. But um, it is important for parents to look at those and to not just throw them away and to, and to really fully understand 
what data and information you know is, is going out on behalf of their kids because um, it is something that I think increasingly we need to think about protecting because data privacy is you know it, it, with anybody uh, but uh, certainly with kids it's it's becoming increasingly um, difficult to to protect and I think that we need to do everything that we can to make sure that happens. So you've given us a good overview of the law. You've given us as educational leaders. Uh, three key points to think about. First, understanding the law. Second, making sure that all of our staff, uh, and that is literally all of the staff, understands what the law is and what our obligations are. And lastly, be collecting that info on, on what are the apps that the teachers are using. Anything else, um, and we talked about parents too, anything else that, um, as we wrap things up here, that you want to share about COPPA? Yeah, I think I think just basically, I, I again, I, I think that schools need to appoint a specific individual who is sort of the spearhead uh, for the program, so that they can receive all of that information. Um, they can send out the notices. They can send out the notices in a way that's meaningful to parents. I mean, obviously, you're not going to send it out app by app. But again, I don't think once a year is going to cover it either, because I think you're going to start adding things. Um, so having that one person be responsible to maybe periodically remind the staff to collect the information to send it out to parents. I think all of that um, becomes very procedurally important as schools go forward. And then, um, you know, the, the last thing that I want to mention is to keep an eye out because there are a lot of talks um, on the federal level about the, you know, the need for an overhaul for data privacy, um, you know, overhauling not just COPPA, um, but FERPA as well, you know, looking more intensely at online data and the release and, and, and uh, dissemination of online data. So keep an eye out. There will be changes in the, in the, in the future. I don't know how soon they're going to come, but I think it is a sorely, sorely needed um, overhaul in the law. Well, thank you very much for joining us this morning, Erin. We appreciate your insights um, about COPPA and helping us understand uh, why it's important for us to really understand the law and think about that point person as well. So for our listeners, if you want to learn more about Erin's work, you can visit her website, edlawinteractive.com, and we will have that in the show notes. All right. And thanks for being here. And this was a, an enlightening, interesting conversation I'm sure our listeners will appreciate. Thank you so much for having me. And hopefully we'll have you back for some other legal conversations in the future. Sounds great. Sounds great. Each episode, we leave you with a question or two to think about with the idea of provoking some conversation. This episode's questions, how does your school ensure compliance with COPPA? And what other legal topics would you like to learn more about? If you've enjoyed this episode, would like to comment or check out the resources shared today, visit the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season four, episode 23. That's all for now. We'll be back soon with more conversations featuring other innovative thought leaders. Thanks again, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. 
head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.